0: worship team whole worship team and then also um, especially to uh, Michael and Allie uh, for leading us this morning and and also a nod back to Wednesday night if you were here it was a great great night just to worship together to be together thanks everybody who made desserts so we got fatter but um, but I wanted wanted to tell you both um, Michael and Allie and Doug Dishman who also led that night I just want I just want you to hear this because it so encouraged me personally just to be here, but then afterward to hear them, you know, they they lead worship in lots of different places and perhaps more sizable um, places, but their comment and then Doug's comment was, man, the people here sing. And I just, I'll get choked up saying that because what singing is is an overflow of the heart. And so I want you to be encouraged by that. Uh, I'm, I'm grateful to y'all. I mean, part of, partly we sing because you guys don't make it about you either. You lead us to uh, focus on the Lord. And so I just want to say that. Um, thanks to, to you guys. And I have some special scripture readers this morning. I'll uh, let you guys take it away.
1: Our scripture reading today is a prayer of David from Psalm 86. Incline your ear, O Lord, and answer me. For I am afflicted and needy, Preserve my soul, for I am a godly man. O you, my God, save your servant who trusts in you. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for to you I cry all day long. Make glad the soul of your servant, for to you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. For you, Lord, are good and ready to forgive, and abundant in loving kindness to all who call upon you. Give ear, O Lord, to my prayer, and give heed to the voice of my supplications. In the day of my trouble I shall call upon you. For you will answer me. There is no one like you among the gods, O Lord, nor are there any works like yours. All nations whom you have made shall come and worship you, worship before you, O Lord, and they shall glorify your name. For you are great and do wondrous deeds. You alone are God.
2: Teach me your way, O Lord. I will walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. I will give thanks to you, O Lord my God, with all my heart, and will glorify your name forever, for your loving kindness toward me is great, and you have delivered my soul from the depths of Sheol. O God, arrogant men have risen up against me, and a band of violent men have sought my life, and they have not set you before them. But you, O God, are a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abundant in loving kindness and truth. Turn to me and be gracious to me. O grant your strength to your servant, and save the son of your handmaid. Show me this sign for good, that those who hate me may see it and be ashamed, because you, O Lord, have helped me and comforted me. This is the word of the Lord.
0: Thanks be to God. Well, the question I wanna to ask to begin is, where do you go when you feel troubled? Where do, where do you go when you feel troubled? Perhaps you could, for a moment, not just think that's a nice introductory question, but have that in your mind. If you have a pen, you wanna write it down, where do I go? Where does my mind go? My mind, when I feel troubled, my mind goes to. And who's the first person that I go to? Who's the first person that I confide in? So when I feel troubled, when I feel uncertain, when I feel like I'm going to become unglued, the first phone call I make, the first text I make, the first person I reach out to is... Now, before you go, all right, I know I'm supposed to fill God in the blank. This is not a guilt trip. God put people in your life as part of his support system. But the question is, when you, when I feel perplexed, feel pressured, feel troubled, where do I go? What's my default? When pressure builds around you and within you, When anxieties multiply and pull your mind all over the place, where can you turn to find your bearings and not completely unravel? Do you turn to God? And the question really is if you turn to God when you're troubled, can you and I trust him? Trust him to even care to listen to hear you? Can we trust him to respond? Can we trust him to be able to do anything about our situation, our anxiety, the the throb that continually nags us with worry, disappoints, stings? Can we trust him? And what difference does it make when we're asking this question, what is God really like? What difference does it make if we understand a little better of what God is like? What difference does it make in your daily grind, that thing that's grinding on you, or a difficult season that you might be in right now that disheartens, exhausts, and drains you? Does it make a difference? Well, what the Curleys just read... And I'd invite you to turn there in Psalm 86. What they just read and what we'll listen to and hopefully learn from is King David's pressure cooker prayer. Pressure cooker prayer because it's one of several where he mentions pressure that he's under, affliction that he finds himself in the midst of, um, threats from rivals or others threatening his life, threatening his throne, threatening to discard and cancel him and move in. We don't know. We'll get to it in a moment, but we don't know the exact situation that David is in here. Now, there's some that are going to speculate and they're going to they're say, well, this is when his son Absalom was, you know, by basically trying to get rid of dad and take over kind of thing. We don't know that. And I'll talk more about why I think that's important. But, this is his pressure cooker prayer because as they read it, hopefully you were following along, but as we go through it, walk through it again, I hope you can feel the pressure and I hope, and, and part of what what I, you know, my desire is that that David's prayer can give you and me vocab to express our anguish and, and anxieties, to express our trust as you might be, currently troubled we're currently just in a dilemma trying to make a decision trying to find a job whatever that David's prayer might give us vocab and because of God's goodness God is eager to bend his ear to you and to me to hear our cries and he is ready and ever present to help in our time of need so we're going to begin our walkthrough uh, in Psalm 86, if you're there. And we're going to begin our walkthrough with David's situation. David's situation, he calls it in verse 7, is a day of trouble. And then he gets more specific in 14, but not too specific. Because there were lots of times when David was being tracked down or threatened, mocked, etc. But his situation... Is a day of trouble. Just verses one through seven really quick. Incline your ear, O Lord, and answer me. Or some of yours actually says, bend your ear to me. Answer me, for I am afflicted and needy. Some of yours says, say poor, but that's probably more a way of saying, gosh, just the destitution, the desperation, the the and, and you think of on the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are the poor in spirit. There's a brokenness, there's a poverty of I got anything in the bag to handle my situation. He's saying, I am poor and needy. Preserve my soul, for I am a godly man. O you, my God, save your servant. You hear these words? Preserve, keep, save. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for to you I cry all day long. It's a day of trouble, which is why he's crying out, and it's all day long. Make glad the soul of your servant, for to you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. For you, Lord, are good and ready to forgive and abundant and loving kindness to all who call upon you. Give ear, O Lord. Here he is again. Listen to me, to my prayer, and give heed to the voice of my Supplication is a fancy word for I'm begging you, asking you. In the day of my trouble, I shall call upon you, for you will answer me. Now I'll drop down to 14. He describes his day of trouble a little more. Oh, God. Arrogant men, or some of you say insolent men. Arrogant men have risen up against me. He can can feel it. He can see it. And a band of violent men or ruthless men, meaning they don't really care about the damage. They're just going to, they're going after him. A band of violent men have sought my life. And they have not set you before them. So these are godless men. These are men who mock God's man. These are men who who mock any person who says, well, the Lord or Yahweh is my God. He's my trust. He's the one I know and, and long to serve. His situation is that it is a day of trouble. Now, I said we're not given a specific day of trouble. Um, and I think that's helpful. Because I think if he said, well, I'm the king and my son, i trying to take over. All of us are like, well, I'm not trying to be king. I'm not trying to be president. I'm not even trying to be the president of my HOA or PTA. And we, we, we dismiss it. We go, this is a nice history lesson of David and he had trouble in the home and he probably deserved a little bit of it, right? We would dismiss it and we would distance from what God is giving us here. This is a gift that he's giving us that King David, who could have everything at his fingertips, and think about it, as king or anybody in leadership, what the temptation is is to always put on a veneer that you have everything together and or I'll take out anybody who's messing with me. David is, this is humility. He's allowing the nation Of Israel, that he's king over to hear that he's an afflicted and needy and kind of right now pathetic man in this moment. It's that bad of a moment. It's a troubling one. And so, this allows, because it's not specified, it allows you and me to enter in no matter what your current trouble is. Again, I want you to think about it. What did you come in here this morning and you could barely sing the first verse of the first song because it's in the back of your mind. It doesn't do any good to come in here and open God's word and not acknowledge what is right on your mind. What has been nagging you all week? What is it? Because God threw David saying, I got a lot of trouble, troubling days. And here's another one of them. And I'm crying out to you, God. This is God's gift to you right now to not dismiss where you are, not dismiss the hurt you're feeling, not dismiss the disappointment that you, you barely could get here this morning because you're so disappointed or you're so angry. Be there, the real you right now with the real God. It's in the day of trouble. And if even if it's little t trouble, and you're like, well, compared to anybody else, my trouble's not... Whatever it is in that day where are you going to Is it well I'll just figure out how to I'll just figure out how to handle this sucker I'll get control of it I hope you see uh, as we go through this psalm David the king who had everything at his disposal to take full control says God I'm I'm not trying to go for that I'm trying to go for you but it is the day of trouble that ignited this Prayer, And it says in your Bible, a prayer of David. That's actually in the original. It's the only prayer of David in what's called the third book of the book of Psalms. You may not know this. There's like five books, and they're not evenly spaced. That really bugs us as Americans. But Psalm 73 is the beginning of this book. And this is the only psalm attributed to David in this section. And it's a prayer of David. I think that's used five times in the Psalter saying this is a prayer of David. So it's, it's letting us know he's coming and he's seeking God. Now, yes, they're all prayers and they're all songs. That's what a psalm is. But again, this psalm of David can be yours. And this prayer of David can be your prayer, can be borrowed, can give voice to your angst, your season of struggle, your difficulty that you're in and give you permission to say, God, I want to bend your ear. Would you bend down? Would you incline? He's actually in the day of trouble. Notice it. He's asking God to adjust his posture to him. So now, that's the situation. Now we want to know, how does David see himself, and how does he see God as his trouble is breathing down his neck how does david see himself now again we're not going to go through every i'm not going to read every verse but i'm going to give you some some threads that kind of keep coming back up how david de- sees himself and it's more than these three but i'm in, i'm just pointing out these three. First of all he sees himself as afflicted and needy i already mentioned the poor of spirit brokenness he understands i don't have it in the tank for what is required here I need you. He's acknowledging he needs God. Again, some of us keep trying and trying and trying to get to a place in life where God, you don't have to worry about me. I'm varsity now. Go work on the JV. You never graduate. I never graduate from needing God. In fact, we need to be constantly nourished shepherded by him. Maturity is not, I've got it now, God, I'm good. Uh, my my friend Cole says, how do you know the maturing, if someone is maturing, how do you know if you're maturing? Well, they're easily edified. What's that mean? They don't got it. I don't got it. I ain't got it. I'm trying to butcher the English language as my mom is watching online. Uh, but the idea of, of like we wouldn't say self-sufficiency, but I mean, I've kind of gotten to a sufficient place, God. I don't need you. No, you do. In your day of trouble, God allows or brings about or whatever because it's going to be an invitation to be revisiting again and again just how gracious and good our God is and how ready he is to meet us in, and meet you in your need. Secondly, it sounded a little cocky in verse 2. Preserve my soul, for I am a godly man. Does y'all, y'all say that? I think most of them say that. Here's the idea. He's not saying, it's not only is he not self-sufficient, he's not self-righteous here. Really the idea, and I put it up here on the slide, it's preserve me because I belong to you. He's reminding God. Our people, you told us in Deuteronomy 7, we were pipsqueak, piddly, non-impressive people when you chose us to redeem us out of Egypt. We had nothing significant about us so that the only thing could be what a God he is to have done such a thing for such an undeserving people. It's all grace and all mercy, but they do belong to him. And now that they belong to him, he is the God who is with them. We'll talk about that more in a minute, but I want you to see that he recognizes, how he sees himself is, my identity is, I belong to you. It wasn't of my own doing, but you have made it so. And probably the biggest divot that we experience, each of us in our lives nowadays, is the idea of our identity. Who am I? We're all asking three questions. Who am I? Where do I belong? And what's my purpose? You may word them differently, but those are the questions of, of being human and COVID and all the other stuff, all that did was help us come back to, as painfully and frustratingly as possible, come back to, actually, we're human. And we, we need to understand who we are, and we need some folks who are our people, and we need to understand that our identity is we belong to him. And if we don't, we're going to scramble and try to make an identity, and our culture, as foolish as it is, says you can be whatever you want to be no you can't that's why none of you is leaving church early to go play i don't know if the cowboys are home away but to go put on a star on your you know a helmet a starred helmet and play for the cowboys ain't none of you going and that's just surface stuff you can't be whoever you want to be in terms of your gender you can't be whoever you want to be in terms of your sexual like, like all of that Fill in the blank with all our cultures telling, you, and it's crushing our kids, especially. Some of us are old enough to go, I don't care what they say, but it's crushing us because we cannot do that. If we try to build a, an identity, then everybody around me has to, uh, has to recognize that identity, has to keep affirming it, or you're out. And we can't bear that weight. But David says, I don't have to worry about that. Because I belong to you. That does a lot for your security. It does a lot for your buoyancy when life's waters get really choppy. And his are really choppy and really threatening. Think that movie, The Perfect Storm, where I don't know how they came back alive or whatever. Somebody's car alarm's going off. How does he see himself? Afflicted and needy. He needs God. He belongs to God. And lastly, in a couple places he says, I am your servant. He says um, in verse 4, oh, sorry, verse 2, save your servant who trusts in you. Verse 4, make glad the soul of your servant, for to you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. And then verse 16, O grant your strength to your servant. Now that's going to make a whole lot more sense when we talk about not only how does David see himself, but how does he see God? Because notice he's I'm I'm your servant. But servant, the idea is, I don't call the shots. I live at the pleasure of the one whom I serve. Do you think about that? Like as Sunday is here, and you think about Monday, maybe we're all off work this week, I don't know. But if you're not, as you think about going into this week, or even as you think about traveling to see grandma this week, do you think of yourself, As belonging to him, and that was of his grace and mercy, that you do need him, and do you think of yourself as his servant? Because that changes how I think about how much say I have in my day. That changes what my highest motivations are. That changes why I go to work. That changes why I treat my spouse the way I treat my spouse. That changes, if I'm a a parent, how I think about parenting. That changes if you are a, a child to somebody. We all are a child to somebody. How is it that I will respond to my parents? He sees himself as a servant. How does he see God? Well... We uh, quoted, uh, we read together Exodus 34, 6, and 7, and we, a couple weeks back, we said um, one Hebrew word we could learn is Yahweh. And uh, in Exodus 34, it says the Lord, the Lord God, and both times Lord there is Yahweh. And we said back in Exodus 3, when, um, and if you weren't here, don't worry, the, the people of Israel, you know this from Prince of Egypt, the people of israel were slaves in egypt and they were crying out to god and in exodus 3 god says i've heard their cries i see the oppression they're under and i'm here to answer and respond so moses i'm going to send you and moses said uh who should i say is sending me and he says i am that i am or it could also be translated i am what i always will be and then in exodus 34 it's the same root word of being instead of saying uh, I am, he's saying, the Lord. This is who I am. He is, he is. Or he is what he always will be. Why is that important? Because Yahweh is um, probably his favorite name of himself, if you will. It's his covenant keeping name. He's saying, who I am, I will always be. So we can know he is who he always will be. There is no shifting shadow with him. That's why we sing, Great is thy faithfulness. There's no shadow. He doesn't change. Now, that doesn't mean he's boring. That means he's consistent and trustworthy. And in Exodus 34, The Lord, the Lord God. That's the next word. God, uh, there uh, is uh, Elohim, El, or Elohi any of those, but that's in this passage multiple times as well, especially you look down at uh, 8 through 10, or if he says, uh, Lord God, it's usually El or Elohim, some form of that. What that's pointing back to is, in the beginning, God, Genesis 1, created the heavens and the earth, and that's Elohim, that is the creator God. So he, what he's saying is, in the day of my trouble, I'm reminded that you're the God who never changes and has set your loyal love on me and that won't fade or go away. I can't fracture it. I can't pull away from it. That's what kind of Lord you are. Personally, my Lord and your God, you're powerful and can do anything. So my situation doesn't make you nervous, doesn't make you, "Mm, can't really address that one. No, you are Elohim, you are God. And lastly, Adonai, and I wanted to point this out because this is actually the most pronounced one in this psalm, seven times. This is another name of God, Adonai. Usually in your English Bible, my English Bible, Yahweh is all four capitals, L-O-R-D. And then um, Adonai is capital L and then small O-R-D. That's how we can know that. In our English Bibles, most of the translations, I believe. Why do I point that out? Well, Adonai means Lord or Master. It has the idea of who calls the shots and who's the authority. And what do we want to do in our work situation when we don't like it? Well, we just blame up the chain. David doesn't do that. He does say, you're up the chain because I am servant to you, your servant. And I am your servant, Adonai. When we sing the Lord God Almighty, often it's Adonai El. That's the idea, that he is almighty, the one in authority. He can call shots. He can make things happen. He can take care of business. But also I want you to notice this, the next slide. How does David see God? In this psalm, David sees God as gracious and good. He's the gracious and good God who goes with David. He's the gracious and good God who goes with his people at any time. He's the gracious and good God who goes with you right now with whatever is breathing down your neck, nagging at your mind, causing you to have ulcers. He's the gracious and good God who, when asked, hey, would you bend your ear to me? Would you incline? He listens, he hears, and he cares. But he is who he always will be. He is Yahweh. He is, he is, he is. Verse 5, verse 13, and verse 15. I put it, and you, uh, throw those up really quick, Grant. I put those, uh, I believe I made them in yellow. Verse five, for you, Lord. So uh, make make glad the soul of your servant. He's already been saying, please bend your ear. Listen to me. For you, Lord, are good and ready to forgive and abundant and loving kindness to all who call upon you. Notice he's ready to forgive. Some of us, our day of trouble is of our own making, of our own sin, of our own selfishness. And we think, Well, I don't deserve it. I better go clean myself up, come to him. He's good, and he's ready to forgive. The idea is that he is eager to forgive you. He's eager for you to know and trust that he forgives you, unlike we do with each other. He's eager. He's... He's our ever present help. If, if your situation is not because of sin, but it's simply because you're in a bind, you're in a dilemma, you, you are just, I got nothing left in the tank, I'm exhausted. He's ready to be abundant, abundant, overflowing in his loyal love to all who call upon him. Notice the invitation. All who call upon him, he's ready and eager and present to be abundant in his love and his care. Verse 13, just a a little phrase in there. For your loving kindness toward me is great, and you've delivered my soul from the depths of Sheol. Some of you say the depths of hell. Some of you say the depths of darkness. That's the idea, is that he's a God who already has in David's past delivered him out of dark times before, out of other days of trouble. He's for sure delivered him out of eventually the grave and being separated from God because he already belongs to him by his faith in him. He said, so your loving kindness for me is great. And then verse 15, after he's talked about, well, there's some ruthless men after me. I'm in a bad way, God. And these guys don't seek after you. That's how they are. They're violent. They're ruthless. They're after me. He says, but you, God. In the midst of that, and, and I don't know if you're this way or not, but usually when I'm in a situation and I feel the pressure and I, and I, I, I feel the anxiety rise, rising, I just become myopic. And all I can see is the problem. And all I can see is all the possible negative outcomes that will come and all the ruin. And there's no way out. And that's all I can see. And, and then I start to see is everybody's against me. He says, but you, even in the midst of it, but you. What does he quote? Exodus 34, six and seven. O Lord, you, O Lord, are a God, merciful and gracious or compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness and truth. So he sees himself afflicted and needy, belonging to God and God's servant. He sees God as he is, Yahweh, El or Elohim, and Lord or master who can do something about a situation. And he particularly appeals to him As the good and gracious God who goes with him and who goes with you and me. The next slide is just what we've seen. Just look at those phrases. That's all quoted in Psalm 86 three times. Exodus 34, 6 and 7, we're going to talk about this again at the end. There's a reason why we're rehearsing it. This is the most quoted section of Scripture in the Old Testament quoted in the Old Testament. It's like when you have that really good day at the lake and usually it's like, oh, a dud rock, whatever. You skip it and just skips and skips and skips and skips and skips and skips and, skips, and you're like, I won the lake, <laughs> the rock skipping contest, right? This is the next, This is the first time, this is base camp. When God says, you wanna know who I am? I'm gonna show you my glory. You can't look at me, but I'm gonna pass by, cover you up. And then this is the first time God says, you wanna know who I am? This is who I say that I am. I am Yahweh. He is who he always will be. How do we know that he will always be? Well, we saw it last week when Avinash did Numbers 14. People wandering in the wilderness, their belly aching. Caleb's like, we can take that land. And they're like, no way we can't. And they basically Moses us to intercede with God again. Like, hey, don't take out these obstinate people or whatever. Because remember, you're compassionate, gracious, and slow to anger, and abounding, love, and kindness, and truth. And now we're at King David. This is about 400 plus years later. And then we're going to go, if you can go to the next slide, this is just like a little map. Sorry, I don't have Google Maps for Old Testament history, but (laughs) Moses there on the mountaintop, Israel wandering. Now we're at David. Next week, we'll look at Joel. And then the next, uh, we'll look at Jonah. Now don't skip because you're like, oh, Joel and Jonah. No, no, there's good stuff in these, but the stuff of the stuff is the God who says he is, is the God who he will always be, including today. Let's keep going. So what does David ask for in this prayer? Well, he asks, you know, bend your ear, listen to me, answer me. He says, gladden the heart of your servant. Um, He says, you know, strengthen your servant, right? He says, be gracious to me. And be gracious, remember we said in Exodus 34, compassion and gracious, compassion, it's kind of like everything your mom is in, in her best day. That's compassionate. And and grace is everything your dad is on his best day. A father who supports and and who loves and who's there for you and who you need help, I'll lift you up. And you need supply, I'll supply. And I do it abundantly. And so David's saying, hey, hey, I, I do need you. I'm afflicted and needy. Here's my situation. And he even says, I'm confident. He will answer me, he says. He will answer me. Because he's confided and lifted up his soul to the one he knows is the confidant that he needs, is the one he can come to. He even says, show me a sign of your of your good or your favor. That's not out of disbelief. Uh, I think it's tricky in Luke. You know, you got Zachariah who's like, oh, give me a sign. And he gets, whoop, he can't talk for nine months. And everybody thinks, oh, you know, what's going on? And he's not going to name his baby Zachariah. And it must have been a seedy thing going on, like, poor Zachariah, but he must have asked it out of unbelief. And it says, Mary asked the same thing to the angel. Hey, how will this be since I'm a virgin? She seems to have asked it out of belief. David seems here to be asking it out of belief, not saying I don't believe you, but he's saying, I'm with you. I'm clinging to you. Could you could you encourage me a little bit? Could you give me a glimpse of seeing your hand? How many of you, with whatever that is throbbing you, you just, God, could you just give me Give, give me a, a small encouragement. I pray He would give that to you. He doesn't promise. He's not a vending machine, but He does love when we seek Him, and He does. He is ready and eager to support and help and care. And so, I, one thing I pray often is God. When if you ask me to pray for you, I'll say, God, would you would you show them a tangible kindness? Just a, just something. They need it to get through this week. And so that's what David asked for. But what does he really, really want? Well, I would say what David really wants is gladness when you would not expect to be glad. He says, Make glad the heart of your servant. Or uh, ESV says, Gladden in verse 4, is it? Verse 4, uh, ESV says, Gladden the soul of your servant. That's awesome or some of yours, I think New King James might say, rejoice your servant. He's saying, even in the midst of this horrible time, this trouble I feel, more than, deeper than, just solve this, just move me to a different situation, different circumstance. He's saying, deepen my joy. Deepen my joy. If I brought every one of you up here one at a time, you could probably talk about a really, really hard time in your life When now, now looking back on it or even in the midst of it, God gave you a, a glimpse of encouragement, a, a little dose of encouragement. Somebody who came along and just simply listened and wept with you. And all of a sudden you had a strange joy in the midst of being, you didn't, you didn't ravel back up. If, if ravel a word, I know unravel is. Ravel, did you ravel back up? I don't know. But he's, he, what he wants is gladness and grace to glorify God with a whole heart. If I could put one sentence for us to pursue, for you to pursue in the day of trouble, is pursue God for gladness and grace to glorify him with a whole heart, even when life is pulling you apart. Or though it still stings, or though he doesn't quite give you the out, or the silver bullet answer. In Psalm 86, we're not told David gets a single answer. But he's actually not after the bennies, he's after the God that he's pursuing. I think about one of the biggest heartbreaking things in Luke 15, the story of the prodigal son, is the son says, I don't care about you, dad, I just want your stuff and now I can be detached from you. And, and then it took a day of trouble or a season of suffering that was self-inflicted for him to go, you know what? My dad wasn't so bad. And if he just take me back as a servant, what does he find when he goes back? The father was watching. And when he was a long way off, the father ran to him. And he said, get that fattened calf. I've been fattening that sucker up. We're having a dinner. That's who your God is. And that kind of God, knowing you have that kind of God, even when life is just chewing you to bits, can gladden us and can provide the grace, the sustaining grace, the strengthening grace, the support we need in the midst of it, even if he doesn't take us out of it. Because ultimately what David's after is he wants to glorify God in how he responds in the midst of it. It's one of the greatest um, things that I've, shared about my mom going through a cancer and surgery after surgery and all that kind of stuff. And she said, I just don't want to besmirch the name of my God. Some of us live for much smaller goals. And David is saying, what I really, really want is gladness and grace to glorify you, God, with my whole heart, even though life is falling apart. Because notice what he says in verse 11. Teach me your way, O Lord, and I will walk in your truth. He's, He's almost... He's not forgotten about his affliction, but in eight through 10, he starts scraping the heavens of how great God is and all the nations are gonna bow down before you and worship you and I trust you fully and and you're, you're unrivaled as a God. There's no God like you and your works are unmatched. Therefore, teach me your way, God. There must be something that I don't know yet. I can't put together why I would be in this situation, but maybe there's some way of yours, some way of me living out, being compassionate for others. Me reflecting you in this moment. Teach me your way so that I might walk in it. And then the next verse I love. He says, unite my heart that I might fear your name. And he says, I'll give thanks to you with my whole heart and I will glorify you forever. And that's a prayer. What is this Psalm about? He doesn't use anxiety, but pressure Is rising anxiety biblically is when we go we're pulled in two directions. What is David saying? I want you to so work in my heart, so walk with me, so teach me, so that I might walk in your ways and walk with you and be glad and be supported by your grace, so that it be you who is bringing my heart back to you, not being united. When he says, "I unto you, I will lift up my soul." Soul is another way of saying my whole person not just kind of the Sunday me, not just kind of like intellectually, I know you're a good God, but I'm distanced from you because my heart's not there. I'm not going to trust you. He says, I want to be, unite my heart so that I might love you with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. And that's hard to do when you feel like your capacities are being pulled every which way. He says, you got to unite my heart. That's the only way that I will be gladdened and, and receive the grace that can glorify you in this moment. So let's go from David's prayer to Jesus and then to us. Um, we've said each week we'll, we'll we'll go. God said, This is who I am: compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in loving, kindness, and truth. He's ready to forgive. He's abounding in loving kindness. And Jesus embodies that perfectly. I just want you to have a couple of glimpses of that. And Jesus and then think about um, ourselves. First of all, in Matthew 9, you want to see compassion. You want to see grace, which is active support. In Matthew 9, um, this is Matthew's account of where in Mark 6, it talks about Jesus knew his disciples were tired. They needed to go on a retreat. And as they're going on a retreat, all the people come and, and he's like, you know, <laughs> try to have a retreat. We got Pine Cove reserved and everybody showed up to Pine Cove and they're coming. But Matthew 9, 36 Seeing the people, Jesus was irritated, annoyed, and said, what are you doing? No, seeing the people, which is always how ministry begins, Jesus felt compassion for them, why? Because they were distressed and dispirited. They weren't just having a day of trouble. They were a collection of people who probably had lived decades of trouble. And Jesus says, it breaks my heart. That the God you're being taught, because he's being modeled by the leaders you have who view him as a rigid God, as an angry God, as a God you better kind of keep throwing bones, uh, some meat to, to keep the deity off your back. That's not who God is. They're like sheep without a shepherd. They've lost their way. And in Mark's account, Matthew did not say it. In Mark's account, he says, and when Jesus saw them in that way, he began teaching them. That's weird. I don't you Sunday school answer us. No, he's teaching them at their heart level, deepest longings. He wants them to know this is who your God is. He's eager to forgive. He wants, he's the God who rescued you in the past. And he is the God who has come near to you. And they'll come to find out or reject that it's him. But that's first, we see it in Jesus. We also hear it in Jesus' teaching in terms of days of trouble, things bothering you, things that are just undoing us. Two parables in Luke, Luke 11 and Luke 18. Luke 11, he talks about the neighbor who goes and you've got all the kids tucked in bed and everything's great. And then it's really late, like after midnight. Hey man, I got unexpected guests, I need bread. Now back then, hospitality was huge. And so there was a big social pressure here. He's like, hey, man, the, I finally got the kids down. Like, no, go away. Hey, I need bread. And he said, finally, look, because of his persistence, he went ahead and said, here's a loaf. Now get out. <laughs> I don't know if he said that. But, but, then, but then the idea is, but how much more is your father ready to provide what you need? In Luke 18, you have, it says that Jesus told parables about that folks should pray and not lose heart because life is that way. And then he tells the story of the persistent widow who had some issue and she kept going to this judge and this judge was mean and wanted, you know, nothing to do with people and nothing to do with this lady especially. And she kept coming and she kept coming and he finally says, look, I'm just gonna give her what she wants because she's gonna wear me out. And, and he said, so, like, see that persistence in both of those. And then he says, though, but that's that unjust judge who's selfish and whatever. And he says, but what's your God like? He's ready to answer. He's ready to support. He's ready. How much more, he says, will he give you the Holy Spirit who's the one we need to support us and sustain us in our times of need? And I just love that phrase. I think a lot of us serve a God of our own making or we got from somebody else who really is bothered by us, who really we need to kind of get our act together if if he's gonna respond to us or who owes us if we have gotten our act together. No, no, no. He's a how much more father. You ask him for this? He's not gonna trick you and hold something behind him. He's gonna provide what we need in abundance. That's not prosperity gospel. That's saying he's gonna give you his Holy Spirit He's going to give you what you need in the midst of the trial so that you might be gladdened and graced up to glorify him. And then lastly, Hebrews 4, we're invited. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Implications for us. My question when I started, where do you go when trouble hits? My mind goes to this. This is the first person I go to. As you think about your first, your current trouble, I simply want you to see Psalm 86 as God's invitation to you. Bend my ear. Ask me to incline. Ask me to adjust my posture because I'm eager. I'm ever present and I am with you, whether it feels like it or not. And as C.S. Lewis has said, May it be the real me who meets with the real you. You don't have to Sunday school veneer it. You don't have to get the these and the thous and all that. He says, come to me. My favorite verse in the whole Bible came out of a day of trouble for me personally, Psalm 62, 8. Maybe if everything else recedes, pray you hear this. Trust in him at all times. Some of those times are a day of trouble. Trust in him at all times, O oh people. Pour out your hearts before him. That doesn't mean get it all cleaned up. Pour out your hearts before him. Why? Because God is a refuge for us. Refuge is a great picture of a God who's compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding loving and kindness and truth. He's a safe place. He's a trustworthy one. Pour out your heart before him. And also, as we talked about anxiety, pulling us in different directions, Philippians 4, 6, and 7, be anxious for nothing. Don't be pulled in two different directions. For anything but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving let your requests be made known to God they're already there that thing in your head that's throbbing it's already there let it up like the beach ball we're trying to hold under the water let it up and he says and the peace of God which passes all comprehension shall guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus my question to you is if yours particularly is an anxiety and ongoing worry what if your anxieties or an invitation to bend God's ear and let your worries and requests be poured out to him. And then lastly, how's your reservoir? And we were talking about this uh, Wednesday night afterward. I don't know if you're like me, but when I was a kid and sometimes they say, all right, we're gonna do this and we do the Apostles' Creed and this, and I'm just zoning out like, all right, this is just old people stuff, you know, and it's, it felt like an empty shell, It felt like ritual which I was like, I'm going to be authentic. Well, we've become so authentic nowadays that we don't really have vocab. We don't really have hooks to hang our hope and our trust on. How's your reservoir? Um, Because what I I did, God grew me out of going, ah, a bunch of empty ritual to, actually, I do need to rehearse some truths so that when life falls apart, I got something, and I particularly I got someone, as he's revealed himself, to lie down on, to pour out myself to. And one of many that I go to, Psalm 94, verses 17 to 19. I'm giving you this as part of your reservoir. If the Lord had not been my help, my soul would have soon dwelt in silence. If I should say my foot is slipped, So this is a day of trouble that he's remembering. Your loving kindness, O Lord, will hold me up. When my anxious thoughts multiply within me, your consolations delight my soul. Now then you're like, what in the world? That sounds like an ornate verse. What's consolation? It's something that brings a a, a appropriate salve, an appropriate nourishment, appropriate delight. He says, your consolation delight my soul. So what we're trying to do in this series is put one big old whammo consolation in you Exodus thirty four six and seven. What's the consolation? Well, I don't. He's not the God that I, of my imagination. He's not the God that my culture says he is. He's compassionate and gracious to me. He's slow to anger with me. He keeps loving kindness for thousands, including me. He forgives with eagerness and readiness. And when that happens, when I rehearse that, those consolations can delight my soul, which is gladden you and give us the grace and support, not to jump ship, but in the midst of a toxic, threatening, undoing situation, to still glorify and delight in the God, that he would delight your soul and unite your heart. That's what we are really getting at. So that last question, is what do you really want? David wasn't just looking for the goodies. It's more than getting stuff from God, but it's getting God. And my prayer is that on some day this week or some day six years from now, you'll say, wait a second, I'm in a day of trouble. This is an opportunity, an invitation to bend God's ear and say, God, what I want is gladness and grace to glorify you in the midst of this. Um, I'm going to close. We're not, we're not going to sing because I've, I've gone way too long. <laughs> but uh, Abby, I, w- I asked her if she would, would uh, share, but I knew it was like, ah, don't worry, I'm not bringing you up. But um, I sh- we shared this in the email on Friday, but our women's retreat last week, they talked about the very thing I was mentioning. How's your reservoir? You're not going to be in a, a very stabilized position if the day of trouble comes and you don't have much in the reservoir, the encouragement is build your reservoir, fill it out, pray the prayers of scripture. But that was the, the theme of, of the women's retreat was treasure and sweetness, treasuring in God and what a sweet delight it is. But it can only be that as we take it in and we exercise it out. And, and several women shared, but I just want to read a little bit of what Abby said. So I told our windmakers to come up here because this encourages my soul. But I, but I hope you, f- you feel this as you're like, I'm in, this mit- in the midst of this, or I, I don't want to go to this thing, or yeah, I really want to be in God's word, but I don't know. Here it is. <laughs> just go. I could feel the not so gentle nudge of the Holy Spirit on Saturday morning. My attitude about the ladies retreat was really rotten this year. As I got ready, I even texted a friend who was also going and asked her to please pray for my attitude. I was just about sick with negativity and doubt. I know from experience that, that when I'm this not excited about a particular church event, that God wants me there and has something precisely for me. I was first smothered in his love during the, the music as we worshiped to blessed and tis so sweet. I was so overwhelmed I couldn't even sing, just hearing those true words being sung by my sisters. My hardened heart was drowned in his love In the perfect timing of every word. Doubts met with assurance, fears met with peace, and my failures met with his victory. "'Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus, "'just to take him at his word, "'just to rest upon his promise. "'To see you is to love you, "'and I can't believe I get to. "'I had to leave the room to have a big, ugly cry.'" Abby and I are big, ugly criers. She said, "'This is God's pattern with me "'over the last couple of decades. "'Every time I give the tiniest inch "'of faith or obedience, "'he blows me away with his endless faithfulness and joy. "'The reassurance of how much God loves me didn't stop. As he does, he met every need I had that day through the music, teaching, small groups, visiting with old and new friends. He softened my heart, renewed my heart's desire for his word, and he gave me some new methods to help me step back into a more intensive study of the word, which I've been avoiding for a little while. I think best of all, my negativity was replaced with joy that has lasted for days. I'm so grateful for Cheryl and the whole team, everyone who prayed over this day for us. What a gift. Thanks to all of you. I just want you to hear, he's that good. Let's pray. Oh God, our help in ages past, our hope for years to come. Between now and then, there's going to be a lot of ups and downs, a lot of swells, a lot of near drownings, um, just as life can overwhelm. I pray for any person here right now that thinks that they are irretrievable from... uh, your pursuit, I pray that they would know that you will when they're a long way off if they turn and, and come you're already out there you're already on your way that you're eager to forgive Oh Lord I pray for people who are in a really hard hard place that they'd know your compassion and grace tangible ways this week that they might know your nearness, that you're the God who is with them right now. And I pray you'd give us the courage, Lord, not to distract ourselves, not to cope. And forgive us, Lord, for when we see, just we just want you to get us out of this, and that's kind of all we want, no? Lord. What we want deep down, I pray that David's prayer voices the deepest longings you put in our hearts to know you, to make you known, to be glad in you, be supported by your grace to glorify you with our whole heart, our whole lives. Lord, I pray that would happen this week that just like David, as you unite our hearts to fear your name, that we will give thanks to you with our whole heart, not just around a turkey, that's great. But Lord, you might hit our hearts a little bit each day and you might find thankfulness dripping. And for some of us, it's gonna be a slow slow leak at first. Lord, I pray, Father, we'd be people who just you have gladdened and we overflow with gratitude to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Happy Thanksgiving. See you next week.